All right. I'm going to ask you to stand again for the reading of Scripture. Today's reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew, which is the first gospel in the New Testament, uh, from the first chapter of Matthew, verses 18 through 25. Hear the word of the Lord. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name of Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. It's quite a story that we read in Scripture uh, that we get to talk about this morning. Uh, <clears throat> a couple of things before we get too far into the sermon this morning. Uh, thank you all for humoring us uh, by wearing your best Christmas sweaters. Uh, one of the reasons why everyone who is an aspiring pastor should be a youth pastor is because you uh, are able to con your uh, teenagers that are part of your youth group into giving you their sweaters. And that is what this is. This was once uh, worn by a teenager in one of my past youth groups, and uh, we uh, later on were able to acquire it. And um, Evelyn told me that she didn't think that this sweater would fit me next year. And I said, well, what, what, what do you mean? What are you, what are you saying? She said, your arms, it's, it's getting too short on your arms. I said, well, my arms haven't grown for, you know, several years, so I don't think it's going to, I don't think it can get any worse. Um, and then, of course, as dads do, um, I informed her that the benefit of having short sleeves or shorter sleeves is so that when you're washing your hands, you don't get water all over the cuffs of your, of your sh sleeves there. Uh, there's always, always a reason for uh, everything. So, uh, but a couple of things, um, too, about this coming week. Uh, if you didn't know, next Sunday is Christmas, so you have a, one more week left of um, all the things that you need to do to be prepared for Christmas. And uh, we are celebrating the holidays here in a variety of different ways. Um, next Saturday, we have our Christmas Eve gathering at 6 p.m. It is something that I have been looking forward to for a really long time, uh, for because uh, I always look forward to our Christmas Eve gathering. But this is our first Christmas Eve gathering in this space. And one of the things that we had in mind when we designed this space, and particularly the lighting, is that this is going to be a fantastic setting for a Christmas Eve gathering. So while we light candles, um, the hanging lights will uh, be illuminated, and uh, I think it's going to work out very nicely for us uh, as far as the ambiance goes. But before our gathering, 
We are going to have a hayride and a bonfire uh, at five, starting at 5 o'clock with hot chocolate and s'mores. So uh, you can invite your friends and family. And I don't know why uh, Jeremy did this, but he decided to have uh, a, a hayride on one of the coldest days of the year. They are forecasting it to be very chilly on Christmas Eve. So I was thinking about that, and you know, you uh, want, of course, for the weather to cooperate with you always when you're doing something outside. Uh, but I thought that maybe the thing that we can use for the cold weather uh, to convince people to come is that we know that more people equals more warmth, right? <laughs> And so you can tell your friends or your family that your warmth is dependent upon them being here for the hayride so that you can cuddle up next to them and use their body heat to keep you warm. So uh, it'll be fun no matter what, uh, even if it is a little bit chilly. Every once in a while, we do need to be subjected to some cold weather. Um, even though we don't like it, it is good for us. Um, and then we will also have a gathering for Christmas Day. We know that there are many traditions on Christmas Day that families have, and so um, we certainly don't want to be a hindrance to those traditions, but we did want to um, also open up the opportunity for those um, who want to be here to have an opportunity to uh, gather for worship on Christmas Day. And then the following Sunday, uh, the first Sunday of the year, is New Year's Day, and so we're hitting all the main holidays on Sundays this go-around. Uh, and then starting the Sunday after that, January 8th, we are going to begin um, a new uh, emphasis or campaign for our church um, called Journey to 50, and it's going to be an exciting way for us to kick off the new year. And then after that, we'll be at uh, Ash Wednesday, so we're moving right through all of uh, the holidays um, already. But uh, today is the last Sunday of Advent. Uh, it is a Sunday where uh, traditionally the church for many years has focused on love, and so uh, we are going to talk about the love of God today. And as we do that, I want to invite us to offer a prayer uh, together that will set um, our minds to um, what God has in store for us today. And so let's read this prayer. Let's prepare our hearts, O oh God. Silence in us any voice but your own, that in hearing we may also trust in your ways. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Uh, so one of the things that we have mentioned here many times is the idea that God is never in a hurry. God's never in a hurry. There's no example from Scripture where we see God in a hurry. And I think it's important for us to note that because many times in our lives, we find ourselves in a hurry, right? Things are urgent. We have deadlines. We have to accomplish things before certain moments. And so we hurry through them. But the problem with hurrying is that it often is accompanied by anxiousness and stress and frenzy, 
right? We go into frantic modes. One of the moments of my life for which I am the least proud is when I get into this frantic mode where things have to be accomplished and they have to be accomplished swiftly. And the thing that agitates me the most in these moments is that usually when I am frantic, my children continue to move at child speed, which is always slow and never hurried, right? And that adds to the frustration. And so when you are in a stressful or anxious situation and you add to that some other type of, of stress or thing that caused anxiety, you, I, I'll speak for myself, have the tendency to lash out in ways that, that I shouldn't lash out in, to uh, be motivated by things that I shouldn't be motivated in. And generally, when I get into those moments, I am likely to snap and to get to a point to where I am frustrated with my kids and my frustration bubbles out. See, kids have usually have not yet learned how to be hurried. Isn't that interesting? They move on their own time. And then before they get, when they get to a certain age, we uh, teach them how to uh, hurry and to... Uh, stress and be anxious about things. But God is never in a hurry. God also is never anxious or never worried. God is never worried. Sometimes, uh, as, as we grow in our faith, it is good for us to stop and think about things that God is not. Right? Uh, we often talk about all of the things that God is. We talk about God is love. Um, but sometimes it's good for us to name the things that God is not. And God is never worried. And why that's important for us, particularly during this time of year, is that when we get into frantic mode, when we get into hurry, uh, that generally takes us to a place of anxiousness or a place of worry. And we need to realize that those things are not products of the kingdom of God, that those are byproducts of the ways of brokenness. And so we realize that in these moments of hurry and worry and anxiousness, that we are being formed by something other than the kingdom of God. And it helps us to know this so that we can then in the midst of those situations, the more and more we become aware of this, trust that God will lead us out of these moments of frustration and worry and anxiousness by replacing those within us by his spirit as it becomes more and more full. Now, that doesn't mean we won't ever get anxious. That doesn't mean we won't ever find ourselves in hurry again. And also, whenever we talk about this, I think it's important for us to recognize that there are some times in our lives where we need to trust and confide in others, whether that be a therapist or um, a friend, about our anxiousness or worry. Um, but also, we need to recognize that this is not a byproduct of the kingdom. It's a byproduct of the ways of brokenness. So as we um, lit the candle this morning, the fourth candle of Advent, and as we talk about God as love, it's important for us to find that we can rest in God's 
love. The opposite of frantic mode, the opposite of hurry, the opposite of anxiousness is finding rest. We can find our being in God's love. We can find peace in God's love. And we can in our lives learn to trust that God's love is enough. God's love is enough. When you think about it, understanding God's love as sufficient is one of the most counter to the ways of brokenness that we can live. In our world, in our culture, we are tempted to never feel like we have enough or are enough. We never have enough talent. We never have enough money. We never have enough time. We never have enough strength. We don't have enough resources. There, we, we are bombarded by the feeling that there is never enough. And when we live in the brokenness of never enough, we are likely to succumb to anxiousness and unrest and fear. This is one of the ways for uh, the order of brokenness to keep us in check. In the scriptures, Paul has one of these moments where he realizes a weakness that he has. He realizes that this uh, frustration that exists in his life that he can't quite get over, that continually reoccurs to him. And that prompts him to uh, have this statement that God gave him. He says, God speaks to him and says, my grace is what? Sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. In the midst of our never enough, we need to trust that God's grace is sufficient. We need to learn that God's grace is sufficient for us. Imagine with me for a moment how our lives would change if we were able to fully tap into God's sufficient love for us over our versions of scarcity that we often buy into. In the scripture we read earlier in Matthew, Joseph finds himself in a situation where his betrothed, his wife-to-be, comes up with child. And in that moment, he had to trust in God's sufficiency. Imagine for a minute being in Joseph's shoes or it's probably better for us to say Joseph's sandals because they didn't have shoes in those days. But imagine the betrayal that Joseph felt. What did he do to deserve this? Why wasn't he enough for Mary? What kind of cruel trick was being played on him. 
You see, there are times in our lives when experiences and circumstances that we face leave lots to be desired. We are either by our actions or by the actions of others subjected to situations that we would rather not face. And the stress and the frustration of these situations and experiences and circumstances weigh heavily upon our shoulders. And we know that this is going to happen in our lives. We know that these situations are going to unfold no matter how formed we are into the image of Jesus. We still will face these times. So what do we do in the midst of these struggles? Where do we turn? Well, for Joseph, in the midst of his downward spiral, God spoke to him. Now, anytime someone tells you God spoke to you, uh, that can raise your senses a little bit. Because sometimes uh, what people offer uh, as God speaking to them doesn't seem uh, to jive with uh, what we know about God. But there are moments in our lives where we are certain that God speaks to us, rather through scripture or through another person's encouragement or inspiration. There are moments in our lives where we are assured that God is present with us and that God is leading us to where God desires for us to be. And there are many moments in scriptures where people who are seeking the presence of God, where God reveals to them exactly where he desires for them to be. And what we read in Matthew chapter 1 is this account of where God comes to Joseph in the midst of a very heavy and difficult situation, a circumstance that he would rather not be in, but he finds himself in regardless. And God speaks to him. And what is it that God says to him? He says, Emmanuel. He says, Joseph, in the midst of this situation, you will see that I, God, am with you. I am here. I am in the midst of all that is going on around you. God is with us. It's not just a catchy saying that we say this time of year. God is here. He is with us. It's one of the reasons why we light, when we light the candle, the Trinity candle at the beginning of our gatherings, we proclaim Jesus is here because he is here. He is with us. And it is crucial for us to remember that as followers of Jesus, that no matter what we face, that God is with us. When we are gathered together here on Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock, it's easy for us to remember that God is with us. It's the focus of our time that we spend together. We understand the nearness of God on Sundays at 11 a.m. But what about Tuesdays at 3.37 
Or what about Saturdays at 1223? You see, when we gather together, it is a unique set of circumstances that brings us here and things that we focus on while we are here. That's why we don't do it every day, why we do it once, or, or once a week. We gather together to focus our attention on the presence of Jesus. And there's something that is sacred about gathering together with the people of God and being inspired by Scripture and, and praying together and enjoying this time together. It is a sacred moment. One of the reasons why my family travels every Thanksgiving weekend to Big Bend is because we need moments to stand in the midst of beauty and wonder and be inspired that this world in which we live is a beautiful gift from God that God has given us to explore and to be inspired by. Creation is sacred. Yesterday, we were uh, at my in-law's house, and we took a moment to um, get out of the house. It was a beautiful day yesterday, a little chilly, but it was uh, uh, just a, a gorgeous, sunshine-filled day. And so we went to a little park that is by their house, and uh, the kids were running around. We had our dog, Louie, with us, and he was running around. And, you know, there was laughter, and there were birds chirping, and cars driving by. And in the midst of all of that, I was reminded that this life that we get to live is a beautiful, wonderful gift. And, and it is sacred for us to just simply enjoy normal, ordinary things in life. God has gifted us with these things as a way for us to connect with one another, but also a way for us to see God in each other and in the world and in creation. And when we realize that God is present with us, every moment of our lives becomes sacred. So what's the difference between a Tuesday or a Thursday and a Sunday when we gather? Why is it that we are more prone to see the, the sacred when we are gathered together for worship than we are when we're at work or when we're uh, just doing something ordinary? The difference is what we are paying attention to and what we are present to. When we're gathered together, the focus and attention is on God and what God is doing. But we can live in such a way where we are constantly aware and caught up in the presence of Jesus. So that no matter where we are or what's going on around us, we can recognize the sacred that is all around us. And when we do this, no matter what we face, we can endure because Jesus is with us. You know, we have these prayers that we pray each and every week when we gather together. 
And what I find for myself is that oftentimes when I'm out and about doing things, when I uh, feel a moment, all, often I am repeating these same prayers in my life. I uh, will remind myself while I'm working at the coffee shop or raking the leaves or whatever it is, I will stop and remind myself Jesus is here. I have alerts set on my phone to pop up and to 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 remind me to pause and to breathe. And when I do, oftentimes I will just recite that Jesus is here because it is so important for us to remember this. When we pay attention to the presence of Jesus, our path is affirmed by the beauty of the kingdom of God that is unfolding all around us. And we can see glimpses of it, even in the, the most desperate situations. But we have to be careful because sometimes we look to the circumstances and experiences around us to uh, find some sort of sense of belonging. And we can't control the circumstances and events that are going on around us. And actually, if we try to control them, we will eventually realize that we are unable to control them, which will lead us into a place oftentimes of stre more stress and more anxiousness. But we are never promised that things are going to go our way if we will just be aware of the presence of Jesus. And we see this over and over again. Joseph, when he finally came to reconcile the fact that Mary was with child and God spoke to him and he uh, decided that he was going to be faithful to Mary and faithful to what God was leading him towards, we would hope that his life would just all of a sudden get better, that, that uh, things would go the way that he wanted to. But for Joseph in that moment, we know the rest of the story that things actually got worse. Right? He accepted that uh, he was going to stay faithful to Mary and he had to uproot his family and journey down to Bethlehem in order to be counted for the census. And when he got there, he wasn't even able to acquire a suitable place for his family to stay. And I can imagine in, Jonas, in jo Joseph's situation, he most definitely in that moment felt, what is going on here? Why can't I even catch a break? Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like, why is this happening? Don't I deserve better to this? What have I done? I, am I not enough? We've all felt that way. And Joseph, in feeling this way, we see it. But yet, God continues to be present with him. And God sends things along the way to remind Joseph that even in the midst of a bad situation, God is there. He sends the shepherds and he sends the angels. And you think, okay, Jesus is born. God is here. God is with us. Now things surely are going to get better. Well, there's a madman that enters the story by the name of Herod, and he decides that he's going to kill all of the boys around Jesus's age. And yet again, Joseph and Mary flee, but God goes with them. 
If Joseph was looking for the confirmation of God's love by his circumstances and proving, he would have been majorly let down. But what we see is that God sustained Joseph through all of it by maintaining close proximity to him. As the circumstances grew worse, the awareness of God became more full for Joseph. I want to take a moment today as we consider all of these things and offer a time for us to pray. Uh, we, uh, if you are, have been around Journey for a while, you know that typically on Sunday mornings, we spend time doing what uh, are called breath prayers. We uh, take some deep breaths and in that time, uh, use that as a way of reflecting on the presence of Jesus. And so I want us to do that today. But as we do, we're going to have some things for us to consider and I want you to just take a moment, uh, take a deep breath, and then spend a moment considering this uh, thought. And then as we uh, breathe out, we'll have a phrase um, that we uh, pray together in order to invite God into the situation. But let's take a moment and just breathe a few deep breaths together. Consider this morning, what about this season brings you anxiousness, frenzy, and frustration? Think about that for a minute. as you feel those things piling on your shoulder, take a deep breath, and as you exhale, proclaim that God's grace is sufficient. Now take a moment and consider the areas of your life where you are left with a feeling of never being enough. As you feel that weight on your shoulders, take a deep breath, and as you exhale, remind yourself that God's grace is sufficient.
And then consider what circumstances and experience might be working to displace God's hope, peace, joy, and love in your life. As you feel the weight of that, proclaim God's grace is sufficient. God, we thank you today for all of the beautiful reminders of your grace and your sufficiency. But God, we know that sometime soon in the future, life will happen, frustrations will mount, anxiousness will present itself again, despair, and in those moments, God, we pray that we would be attentive to the still, still small voice whispering, my grace is sufficient. Thank you, God, for your presence that is always with us. As we prepare today to receive communion, we're invited to pray as Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.